We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, everyone, uh, to episode six, seven. What is this, Richie? What episode is this? We're on episode six. Episode six. So I guess maybe we're starting to get used to this, and hope everybody is enjoying it. So merry early Christmas. Uh, we're recording this on on Christmas Eve, and plan is to let this thing go live tomorrow, so you guys have some Hornets content. Uh, there on Christmas Day, when you need a little break from the family, have a little downtime. So again, welcome back in. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. We're going to, uh, you know, uh, look back on last night's win for the Hornets over the Bulls. That's three straight now for the Hornets. Uh, we're going to touch on the new collective bargaining agreement, the most really the most important document uh, in this entire league uh, that <clears throat> the league the owners and the players association have ratified a new deal. Um, so we'll see basketball without a lockout for seven more years. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, dive into the Hornets where they stand on the offensive end, uh, where they stand on the defensive end right now on the floor, kind of dive into their play, uh, what to expect, uh, on the other side of Christmas. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll probably preview here the rest of 2017 and, and looks like some winnable games, uh, coming up for Charlotte as they continue, uh, to keep pace, really, I think, with Boston for that third spot in the East. All right, so let's let's get in here, Richie. You were at the game last night. Um, I saw the first half at home. Uh, kind of a, a hard first half to watch, I think, uh, as I'm sitting there watching it. Not a lot of offense. I think you kind of expect that uh, playing against Chicago. But you were there, so give us a little bit of a taste of what you saw in person. Right, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot of offense uh, from either team. Uh, Bulls are, are, you know, a sound defensive team. We play well in the defensive end, so points were definitely going to be hard to come by. You know, their star player, uh, Jimmy Butler, we kind of did a, a, a pretty good job on him in the first half, uh, limiting his open looks. MKG definitely made a struggle for him on the offensive end, but he did open up his game a little bit in the second half. So Bulls, good defensive team. They you know, grab a lot of offensive rebounds, and we've struggled against teams that do that in the past. And they did get their their fair share of offensive rebounds, but we still came out with the win. Um, and one other thing that I noted before the game is that the Bulls don't uh, allow a lot of free throw shots. They don't foul a lot. And us, on the other hand, we like to get to the line. Um, and we actually did get to the line way more than their, their average. I want to say 28 free throws attempts. We actually are shooting a little bit better from the free throw line recently, knock on wood. 
it was it was a quiet game for most of the game. Uh, very slow. Uh, not a lot of offense. Walker had a pretty quiet game until till the end, uh, fourth quarter, kind of his his quarter. Uh, I believe he scored nine points in the quarter, and then obviously uh, Batum, player of the game with his with his triple double. Yeah, so you know a few of the things you said. Number one, the free throws. I mean, the Hornets go twenty four of twenty eight last night. Uh, so getting there as they usually do, uh, but then converting. You know when they get there, and, and that's important to do against anybody. But you're right, the Bulls. You know they only. It's it's, it's hard basketball to watch. Um, it, it's painful to watch them try to run. I guess what it, what you would call an NBA offense. I'm not quite sure it's that. And then they try to just strangle you on the defensive end. So I thought the Hornets did a good job of keeping their composure. Uh, you know, it looked like they were trying to get the, you know, move their feet through through wet sand or quicksand there in the first half and really could not get anything going. But in the second half, uh, the Hornets kind of freed themselves, uh, got the, the game a little bit more up tempo, and were able to get the offense going. And one thing I found interesting, Richie, and, and you've we've talked about this a lot season so Clifford really has staggered that second unit with one of Kemba or Batum last night he did not do that I don't know if you realized that from the game but yeah they both came out at the same time yeah I, I thought that was interesting and you know I think he's tinkering he's playing with some stuff um you know probably trying to get those guys you know more rest when he can uh although you know Batum ends up playing uh 40 minutes last night so it didn't play out that way but I thought that was interesting and I thought we quickly saw the effects of that. Uh, I, that's when the Hornets really uh, hit a wall offensively, defensively. It, it felt like that is when the game uh, shifted in the Bulls' favor. So probably not something I expect to see in the future, Richie. It, it didn't appear to have any kind of success. Yeah, because we were getting on to him for not tinkering with the lineups. And then when he does, it, it has a has a negative effect. And he and he played Hibbert a whole lot more than he's used to. And I think that, that you know it's a matchup type basis uh, with Hibbert. And I think that because Chicago... Uh, has you know Lopez who can grab some offensive rebounds. They needed Hibbert in there to kind of defend that aspect of it. So yeah, he, he did something totally different that we haven't seen. Lamb played in the first quarter, um, and then when Bellinelli went out, then kind of the lineups changed altogether as well. So the fact that Lamb played the first quarter, which is an odd number and not an even number, means that the end of the world is near, right? Like that's is that basically <laughs> what we're saying here. I think that's, that's what the we're first saying. time. That's the first time he's done that all season. He's never played anything outside of the second and fourth quarter, which you've kept good documentation of. So that that was kind of weird. So, you know, Clifford playing with some things last night. Uh, it ends up not mattering in the end. The Hornets get the win. Oh, yeah, and then, and then another thing that I noted uh, last night, you know, the Hornets getting out in transition, getting some transition baskets um, there. You know, Batum catching the rebound. He has 10 of them last night. Take, you know, And when he catches the rebound, boom, the fast break is started. There's no outlet pass that needs to happen. He can immediately take the ball up the floor. And then the MKG making uh, some defensive plays that lead to easy baskets on the other end. So, you know, I thought that was another way that the Hornets kind of kept their head above water there in that first half um, with, with some transition baskets as well. Exactly. We had a season high in 13 blocks, so we turned our defense into offense on the other end. Um, and I, I think we do well when we kind of pick up the pace a little bit when, when we can turn our defense into offense. I know we're not the you know the most fast-paced team in the NBA, but I do like when we get out in transition because when we when, when our defense sparks our offense, I feel like we we do we do pretty well. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, you look at the box score and you see you know the Hornets not good um, from behind the arc. I mean, last night they're. Five of eighteen. That's that's twenty eight percent from behind the arc. And really, it's kind of been an underlying issue for them. I think kind of all year. I mean, let's see. The Hornets right now in three point percentage. Well, 
they're not as bad as I thought. They're 12th right now. They're shooting just over 35%. Um, they're attempting about just over 27 a game. That's ninth in the league. I think the point is here, they've been uh, a lot worse this year from, from you know shooting the ball behind the arc. Um, but I think they've their offense and, and the movement uh, of Zeller and how much better he's gotten, you know, Batum as as a as a creator. Um, I think you've seen kind of a, an evolution of this offense. Um, you know, it was a motion offense last year. <clears throat> it is a motion offense this year. But the way that the screeners on this team understand how the action is being defended, I think has has really kept the Hornets alive offensively because. You know, when it gets ugly, uh, and it has at times, when we saw it in the first half last night, when they really struggled to score, the constant motion, slipping the screens, um, setting the correct angle on the screen <clears throat> to free Batum, whether it's coming off a ball screen or coming off a pin down, the Hornets can get a shot every time down the floor, and they can get a pretty high percentage shot. Um, and, and I think that's something that maybe hasn't existed in the past as much now they were more efficient shooting the basketball than maybe they have been this year but the understanding of all these little things i'm talking about and i think it starts with these screeners marvin williams cody zeller um and, and then just the high iq of nick batum and and obviously walker's improvement this year the hornets they can get a good shot every time down the floor and i think that's something that you know you can rest easy with as a hornets fan knowing uh, that the, really they haven't been as efficient shooting from behind the arc this season. And, and I think all of us thought that was going to be a huge factor for their success coming into the year, Richie. I just, it hasn't been great, but the offense is still able to stay afloat. Um, and I just think that understanding the game of some of these guys on the, on the team and the organic growth has a lot to do with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we're, we're able to use our screening ability to kind of get easy shots near the rim. Um, because our three-point shooting is down, we kind of need that. And I, I think that Zeller doesn't get enough credit for what he does for this offense because uh, with this screen setting, it opens up so many things with Walker and Batum on the ball. Uh, he's doing a, doing a great job of slipping the screens, and when he gets that pass from, from either Walker or Batum, he's done a much better job of distributing the ball and making decisive uh, actions uh, on offense. So even though our three-point shooting is down, I mean, luckily we have Bellinelli who's who's kind of upped his three-point percentage now that he's with Charlotte, it's it's good to know that we can score in a variety of ways, and, and the screening action sets everything up for, for our team on offense. Yeah, no, exactly. And speaking of Batum, uh, last night um, he has another huge game. He's he, God, he's been on the tear lately. He's been so good for this team. Batum sc- uh, scores 20 last night, 7 to 15 from the floor, so pretty efficient. Um, 10 assists, 11 rebounds, records a triple-double. So here's a really really great staff for Batum he's one of five players in the league right now that's averaging 14 points seven rebounds per game the other four Russell Westbrook James Harden LeBron James and the Greek freak Giannis I refuse to try to say his last name and will probably always be that way I'm with you that's pretty good company Richie I mean he has been so underrated I think of course nationally for the Hornets this year but I, I get some fans every now and then on Twitter that that are frustrated with Batum and I would contend and urge you to try to watch the game differently. He impacts every single aspect of the game. Um, there's very, very few players that can do that in this league, uh, in the world. And that stat that I just mentioned kind of points that out. So, and last night was something else for Batum, Richie, right? So you got a little, uh, a little, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, Batum, he had his little starting lineup action figure night and 
he definitely put on a show. Um, so I went, uh, actually sat in the last row in the upper deck just to get one of these things. So we definitely want to, uh, you know, give it away to our, our listeners. I know that we're kind of like in our infant stages of, of this podcast, but those that do support the podcast, we want to do a little bit of a giveaway. So uh, what, what's, what's going to happen when we have this podcast go live? We'll pin a tweet uh, to the QCH blog Twitter handle uh, with episode six on there. And for you to enter your name, uh, you must retweet this uh, this post, and we will draw a winner in a week's time by December 31st, and then we'll just get all the details and, and ship it out to you. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool collectible. I know they're going to have two more this year with MKG and Kimba, but I have an extra one to give away, so you might as well get, get involved. Perfect. No, that's awesome. So a little... Merry Christmas uh, to our listeners, and hey, you never know what this could be worth one day, right, Richie? I mean, maybe Nick Batum um, becomes one of the best players in the world, and one day you look back and you say, look, I've got this thing, it's worth some money, so get on uh, our Twitter handle, uh, get on our Twitter profile, and, uh, and and try to win that thing. Okay, let's see. Oh, Marco Bellinelli goes down in the first half. It's called a sprained left ankle right now. I, I'm not sure we've heard anything else. As of this morning, Richie, you and I were kind of discussing it earlier. I think I think you're right. He probably will miss a few games, but with sprains, you just you don't you don't know. Um, you know, spraining your ankle if it's severe enough can almost be worse than breaking a bone. If it's a minor sprain, then you know it might just be one game, maybe two games. If it's a severe sprain, you know this thing can drag out. Um, you know, as much as a few weeks, if, if not longer. So. Losing Bellinelli for a period of time would be very detrimental uh, to the second unit and, and this team uh, overall. Speak to a minute about last night. So I think we saw Batum had to play more in the second half. I mean, I think that's kind of how Clifford approached not having Bellinelli. Is that what you saw out there? Lamb kind of gets his normal minutes, but I think it was just more Batum and Walker. Yeah, exactly. Batum, like you said, what played 40 minutes because of you know Bellinelli going down. And I, if if Bellinelli is out for the next couple of games, I'm not sure we can do that on a consistent basis. So someone's going to have to step up, maybe a, a Travion Graham, or I'm not really sure exactly what's going to happen, but we can't have Batum playing 40 minutes every night. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has to be an infusion of one of one of Travion Graham, Brian Roberts, <clears throat> you know, one of these guys getting some minutes. Maybe, maybe Hawes comes in um, and gives you a little bit of offensive uh, spark, but yeah, this, this would not be good for the Hornets long term uh, if they were to lose uh, Bellinelli. And and I think this is probably a good transition to maybe maybe talk about one of the – I think the, the ultimate problem or the ultimate um, improvement that the Hornets need to make. And I think that's just more offensive firepower shot in the arm uh, from a scoring standpoint. So some trade targets. Richie, yeah, you mentioned you had a good one maybe before the show. So I'm going to give you the stage and you, let's start there. Okay. I know that you mentioned on WFNZ a couple of weeks ago that Raul Neto guy uh, from Jazz, who's not getting a lot of minutes, that's not my that's not my like hidden gem target player, but he is definitely a hidden gem. So when it comes to trade targets with Charlotte, I feel like we always go for the players that either are veterans on a struggling team uh, who need a change of role, or maybe one of those players that doesn't get a lot of minutes because they're stuck behind several players ahead of them. So Raul Neto, uh, like you said, from the Jazz, could be a possible target. Uh, he doesn't play that often with with, with the Jazz. Uh, he's a good three-point shooter, especially this is something that we need. Uh, we're struggling in that aspect. 6-1, but the issue is he's making less than a million a year, so I'm not. I'm always bad with, with the, the matching of the salaries. I'm, I'm sure we could probably trade a, a draft pick straight up for him. 
all of this is just players out there. I don't really have trades. So the one player that I think that we could probably target is Tyus Jones out of Minnesota. He's stuck behind. Interesting. Yeah, I, like, I like that. He's stuck behind Rubio and Dunn. Uh, he's playing about 11 minutes a game, which is decent, but but not a lot uh, compared to Rubio and Dunn. Uh, he's under contract for this year and next with a team option the following year. There has been some rumors surrounding his name, but let me just give you his per 36 minutes. I know that. Yeah, I mean, he he shows signs of being a real NBA player this season. I know that, but but yeah, yeah let, let, what are the stats there? Okay, so per 36, I know sometimes these, these can be skewed, but... 11 points a game, 7.4 assists a game, and 4.2 rebounds a game. And he's shooting 43% from the field and 44 behind the arc. So just a young player, uh, good distributor, has you know nice zip on his passes. Uh, you know People in, in this area saw him play at Duke. So I think he does have some promise. And I don't know if Minnesota is willing to give him up, and I don't know what it would take to get him. But he is stuck behind two point guards, and I know that they – had contemplating, you know, trading away Rubio, but Rubio's playing, uh, you know, a, a good deal of minutes for Minnesota. So it doesn't sound like um, he's the one to go. So maybe Tyus Jones might be someone to look at. I like that. I do. I, I mean, I think that the fact that he's young um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, those per 36 numbers, I mean, those are not not scoring-wise, but I mean, assist-wise, those are starting point guard um, the NBA numbers right there, and like you said, those can be skewed. But no, I like that idea. You know, I, I wonder, I, I just kind of wonder, like, what the front office is thinking with this trade deadline because I think it's painfully obvious at times that the Hornets need more scoring. Um, they just, they, they really do need more ISO ball in terms of they need a guy that they can go throw the ball to with this second unit and a guy that can play late in games with the first unit. Uh, it can just go get you a basket. And, the, you know, Kimba, yes, he, he's that guy. Um, but, I, you, you know, you want you want someone that can always get their shot off. I mean, the problem with Kimba is, you know, he's, he's little. Teams can blitz him. You know, when he's so far away from the basket, he has to give it up. I mean, I don't know that he really fits under the category as like an ISO guy. You throw the ball to uh, late in the game when you need a basket. And that's what the Hornets need. Um so Jones is interesting. I think they probably lean towards like a vet, uh, you know, a cheap vet that they can get without having to mortgage, you know, something serious um, from their assets, such as a first-round draft pick. I, I'm just still not sure uh, Cho is there and willing to do that. A guy that I think will be made available at the trade deadline, um, we'll see how much they move the needle as a team now that Dirk is back and you and I could trot out a team that might compete for the eighth spot in the Western Conference right now. but um, So they're not dead. But the Mavericks uh, have a guy. So Darren Williams um, is a guy I think they would make available. Now, <clears throat> he has an interesting situation. He is on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so he there's actually a clause in his contract that says he has to, has to agree. He has to agree to go wherever. So that's really the one thing. I don't know why he wouldn't agree to go to a playoff team. Um but that that's really the one kicker there. I think that is a very realistic situation for the Hornets. Now Dallas in that fringe kind of rebuild, maybe uh, they press that button, maybe they don't. But they're probably going to ask for a first-round draft pick for him. Here's the question I would present to you, Richie, because I think he kind of fits – he fits the definition of what I was saying a minute ago. I mean I think he can – he's still an ISO kind of guy that can go get you a bucket at the end of games. He's a great post-up point guard. Uh, so he can kind of punish smaller defenders. Um, 
he's you know he sees the I mean he still has enough in the bag um to to be a great asset to a playoff team and have on the floor next to Kimba late in games okay um so here's the question I'm going to present to you are the Hornets are we like at that spot where we're ready to kind of go for it as in try to get to the Eastern Conference Finals I mean I think that's the that's the ceiling that's what we all want I think that's the most realistic dream for everybody is this the year that the Hornets go for it and go ahead and trade that first round pick or one of those future assets, you know, Frank Kaminsky, you know, I, I still don't think that Michael K. Gilchrist is completely off the table. I know people are shutting off this podcast right now after hearing me say that, but I think more guys on this roster, Cody Zeller, are in play um, than maybe some are willing to admit. Is this the year that we mortgage one of those, I think one of our best assets and go for it, or are we not there yet? Because I think that's the that's the end game of this conversation. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a it's a tricky situation. I mean, like our best asset, like you said, is probably our draft picks because it's who, who are we going to trade? Spencer Hawes. I mean, he's he he matches up salary wise, kind of with Darren Williams here. But I think that if we went after Darren Williams, I don't think that would be the only move we would make because getting trading trading a pick for Darren Williams or a player. He, he will help. I mean, he, he's got bigger body. He can shield the defenders with his bigger body. Uh, he penetrates, um, and he can get others involved as well. He doesn't really help from the outside shooting that that much because he's in the low 30s from, from deep. But if we do make a move for him, I don't see it being the only move. I think that if we're going to go for it all, we, we do need to go for it all. Now, do I see, see that as this year being that year? That's tough to decide. I can't, I can't really... I don't know. I, can, I almost can't answer your question. I, I don't. I don't think that we'll do it. Yeah. I, no. I agree. I, I don't either. I, you know. I just kind of want to get your thoughts there. But I mean, I think you look at how this roster has been set up. Um, you know, Nick Batum just signed an extension. Marvin Williams signed an extension this summer uh, or a new contract. Kimball Walker's under contract until eighteen nineteen. Jeremy Lamb's there until the same time. Cody Zeller just signed an extension. So the core is in place. A few things. So that is the first thing. The core is in place. So really, there's no reason for the Hornets to get impatient. I think they know who they are. I think they're comfortable in their own skin. I think they probably will sit back this year. They might make a minor deal to add a second point guard at the, at the trade deadline, but don't expect anything crazy. They want to see what Toronto does you know, here, here after this season, moving into the future, because they have some big decisions to make. Uh, with Kyle Lowry, number one, they st- still need a power forward. You know, if they're seriously going to compete with with Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, I think the Hornets are going to sit back, watch the rest of the landscape kind of uh, play out, and then all these guys that are extended and under contract uh, until at least 2018-19, every single one of these contracts, Richie, is, keyword tradable. Every single one of them. I would say Kimba, Batum are probably the only untouchables. I mean, look at Michael K. Gilchrist. Yes, he's an offensive zero, 13 mil a year through 2020. When this if the new CBA, which we're going to talk about again here in a minute, that's a, I mean, that's almost barely over what the mid-level exception is going to be. Uh, Marvin Williams, uh, he's getting annual raises in his next contract, but it, it, the most expensive it gets in 19 and 20 is 15 million. Uh, Kimball Walker, well, we're, we're not going to count him. He's not, he's not tradable. But and then Zeller. Uh, who just signed an extension through 2021? The most he's going to make is just over 15 million. So every single one of those three contracts I just mentioned 
are very good deals, and I would say every single one of those guys uh, is involved in, in serious conversations that the Hornets do eventually have um, to get to that Eastern Conference Finals. Can we compete with Cleveland uh, conversation? And I think that every Eastern Conference team, you know, from five, six up is figuring out what the path is for them to get there. Um, but again, I don't think this is the year that Charlotte's going to have that conversation seriously with other teams or really even internally. I mean, there's no incentive for them to rush this. I agree. I mean, and one player is not going to make that difference like Williams. I mean, I'm sure he would, he would definitely help us uh, get us out of the first round of playoffs. But in the end, I think it might be costing us too much in the future because after this year, he's going to be a free agent, and I'm not sure we're going to try to resign him. So if it's just a one-year rental, I'm not sure it's worth it. And it would take you know multiple trades to get us kind of in that conversation for competing uh, to getting into that Eastern Conference Finals. And would you say, Spencer, that m- most of our work probably is going to have to come in the trade department because I feel like we just draft so poorly that for us to improve, it's going to need to come through a trade. Well, here's what I would say to that. I mean, it's an interesting question. What I would say is that the Hornets are in kind of a tough situation because they have this roster that looks like it's going to churn out somewhere around 45 wins a year um, for the next three to five years. If, say, you know, everyone stays on this roster that we see on it now um, in terms of the core. So that means that you're getting, you know, a, a pick anywhere from what, you know, 18, 19 to, to 30, you know, somewhere in, in that range. So you're not getting a franchise altering player there. Unless we get lucky. Yeah. Right. You know, unless you get lucky. So I, I think the answer to your question is probably yes. Um, it, it probably does have to come through trades because you know, it's, it's also not going to come through free agency. Um, right. The Hornets aren't going to get a unicorn player because I mean, outside of Steph Curry, which that option is not on the table. I mean, stop talking about it, everyone. And we're going to talk about this new CBA in a second, which makes it even more impossible. He's the only guy who like even makes a little bit of sense. That's a top 10 player to come to Charlotte because he's from Charlotte like that. I mean, it was always a pipe dream, but he was literally the only player out there that could alter the franchise, you know, overnight. That's not going to happen. Um, so free agency out, you know, with the way this roster set up, the draft looks like it's out because we're not going to have any good picks. So, yeah, I think the answer to the question is yes, it has to come through trades. Now, in what, you know, in what form, you know, trade for a veteran, trade, you know, assets for picks, you know, it, that question, you know, remains to be seen. I, I think it depends on really can the Hornets stay healthy, how these next few seasons go. I mean, you know, next year, I mean, knock on wood. But, you know, Kemba or Batum or a key piece could go down. All of a sudden, the Hornets win, you know, under 30 games. And now, you know, it's it's time to get rid of one of these contracts that we were talking about a minute ago that currently sits on this roster. So there's a lot of different ways that a trade could, could change uh, what we're talking about with the Hornets and really what their path is. But I think as we sit here today, the path is to stay patient. The path is to win. Okay, this is this is a franchise that has no problem being from four to seven in the Eastern Conference for a few seasons. Watch the landscape kind of play out around them and then and, and then make a splash uh, here in you know the next three or four years to put themselves in position to try to make the Eastern Conference Finals and, and see what happens. But it, it's interesting. I, I mean, it, you look at the Horns and nobody's talking about them with trades and 
and acquisitions and, and, and how far can they go because they're kind of that middleman franchise in the Eastern Conference right now that's in holding mode. And that can be frustrating, but it's also comforting uh, because, you know, this team has, has one job right now and they're thinking about one thing that's just winning games and kind of letting everything else play out around them. All right, so as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, the owners and the Players Association uh, have agreed on a new collective uh, bargaining agreement. Uh, It has been ratified, so seven more seasons of lockout-free basketball um, here in the league, and that can't be underrated um, because, you know, I remember the lockout of – what year was it? 2011, I guess, 2010. Um, Not fun at all. So let's kind of dive in a little bit of, of what this new CBA means. I think the thing that jumps off the page about it is it is definitely a middle finger to Kevin Durant and LeBron James and what they've done here in the past few years, which is leave – well, LeBron left a super team you know, to go to Cleveland, and I think it shocked everyone. And then Durant leaves Oklahoma City to go join a super team. I think the owners are tired of losing these guys. Um the fact that the best players in the world um, can kind of just pack up and leave overnight scares owners. Uh, I think it scares Adam Silver. I think it's a scary proposition for the league's future. So they fix that. Um, so there's and basically how this happens is there's a new super max contract um, under this new CBA, and what and we're not talking about like what Nick Batum is going to get. No, we're talking about like the best players in the world, the top 10 players in the world. I'm not going to go through all the incentives of what qualifies you for this contract, but we're talking about the best players. So they're not going to be able to leave their teams as easily as they have been able to under this CBA. Uh, This new super max contract is 35% of the salary cap, which is a ton. It's in the eighth or ninth year for veterans going on to their third contract, uh, essentially. Um, again, there's numerous benchmarks, but really what this does is it it makes it really hard for these guys to leave their team. Steph Curry is a perfect example. The Warriors are going to have to resign him. Um, he's going to be able to make over $200 million on this next contract that he signs with Golden State. And any other team in the league that wants to have a conversation with him can only offer him approximately $130 million. So we're talking about a $70 million difference um, you know that the, the home teams have their current team has a seventy million dollar advantage on re-signing these guys. I mean that's you can't that's too much money to walk away from, right, Rich? I mean there, there's been amounts of money under past CBAs that make it tough for players to leave their current team to go elsewhere, but this is an astronomical amount of money, and you're just not going to see guys moving anymore. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge, and the incentive to stay is much greater than it has been in the past. So if you're trying to go to a, a super team to contend for a title, um, and you're going to be leaving your, your home team, you're going to be giving up some money in, in the process. So, I mean, you know, if I was an NBA player, I wouldn't really care about the difference there because it's, I, you know, I don't I don't make that much. But to them, they probably think that, okay, if I, if I stay – my current team can offer me more than any other team could. Does that trump winning? And right. maybe it does to some people. I don't know. I I, I personally would would go would, would would go for the team that that gives me the best chance of winning, regardless if it if it you know cost me a, you know several million dollars. But um, yeah, it, it definitely gives incentive for people to to stay, like Draymond Green and uh, and Curry, who are both drafted by the Golden State Warriors. So any hopes of Curry coming back to Charlotte? 
uh, kind of has diminished a little bit with this new CBA. So uh, the incentive to stay put has definitely increased and people changing teams like these superstars, I think we're going to see less of it. No, I, yeah, I agree. So <clears throat> just trying to relate this to the Hornets roster, I, I would say there's only one guy I look at and would even be possibly eligible for this, uh, but probably not. I'd, I'd have to dig into the incentives and see if he's already just a non-qualifier. But Kimmel Walker would actually be going into his ninth season when this current deal runs out, um, you know, in 2019, 2020. So, you know, going into a ninth year, that makes him eligible for this super max, but he has to meet, you know, I think that would mean he would definitely have to make the all-star team in every single one of the years leading up um, to that next deal. And some other stuff would, would have to happen too. I, again, we're not going to go through all the benchmarks, but he's really the only guy I look at as, as the roster is currently constructed. The Hornets might have to have that conversation, but I think that's good news, right? Like that this means that if Kimba does continue to improve, become, you know, one of the top 15 players in the world, um, that the Hornets are going to have a great chance at keeping him uh, when he goes onto that third contract, his ninth year, uh, because they're going to be able to offer him so much more money. But you know, it remains to be seen if he even qualifies for this super max. Um, you know, the only other thing I really made note of the CBA, and again, just trying to relate it to what the Hornets might have to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so, rookies that come into the league now, this is going to change the way they look at things. So, the, the rookies under this current CBA have been, or the past CBA, now, I guess now, have been more inclined to be patient, kind of watch the market around them. This is going to change that. Um, they're going to try to drive, maybe, maybe this doesn't happen, but they're probably going to try to drive where they go in the draft in terms of what city, what team, what franchise, more than they are they have now. Because, you know, again, if it's the Kobe Bryant situation, you know, he didn't want to come to Charlotte for obvious reasons, uh, well, obvious to him, and I think that you know you look at this new CBA. Guys are going to try to drive where they go because there's they're going to be there long term because they're going to have to turn down so much money with that team to go elsewhere. Um, now, players can be eligible for this if they are traded, traded during their rookie contract. Right? During their rookie contract, so that is the one situation I would look at and say, okay. Maybe Charlotte has to deal with that. So say we do have a top 10 pick here in the next four seasons. Um, say that that guy does alter the franchise, okay, and he, and he doesn't want to spend you know, the long term in Charlotte. Well, that's a negative for Charlotte or small franchises in general because they're going to have to probably trade that player. The positive is they're obviously going to get a haul coming back, but you're going to see these younger players now try to – use their agents more, uh, demand, I want to go here, here, here. So as much as I like this new CBA and, and kind of like what it does in terms of, I think it do, it's good for making the league competitive and making it fair, not for smaller markets. Yeah, it, de- it definitely really doesn't all- help Charlotte any, by no. any means. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I think it is, it makes it fair for all markets across the board. Um, but, but there are a few things that you look at and, and it kind of scares you. And, and the rookies kind of driving this process even more uh, in the guys on the rookie contracts, kind of demanding trades and driving where they go. That scares me a little bit. And that, like you just said, probably does not favor a place like Charlotte. But um, yeah, so anything else in this new CBA that kind of jumped off at you, Richie? Just two other things. The uh, the entry for the draft is, is still 19 years of age. You have to go to college for a year, or I guess one year removed from high school. So I guess you could play overseas. But what they're trying to do is get – 
I have more incentive for you to to enter the draft and and go into the D League because they're increasing the the D League pay if you're designated as a two way player or two way contract. So what this means is the Hornets for sake they are expanding the rosters to seventeen players. Uh, that's by 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 two. It's it's now at fifteen. Let's say we designate a player uh, for the D League. When he plays down in the D League, he's getting an uh, increased pay. Um, I mean, it might only be seventy five thousand or a hundred thousand, but it's more than a regular D Leaguer. And then when he comes up to play in the NBA, uh, he gets the the league minimum, which is half a million. So I thought that was interesting. So they're trying to, even though the one year or you know one year removed from high school is still in play, they're still trying to uh, kind of increase the incentive to kind of play in the NBA and the D league as well. And they've also contemplating because of the expanded roster, a third round in the draft. I don't know if this is, I mean, nothing's official yet with the CBA because I don't think it's been written up, but that'd be interesting to have three rounds in the draft. And the last thing that I thought was interesting and I, I, I like it, I really do is a shortened preseason. The, the length of the regular season is, is expanded longer, not in terms of games, but just in terms of time. So that means less back-to-backs and less four games and five nights. So that's always right. good for players. Right. So the regular season calendar is actually being moved up one week. Is that, is that right? So now, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, like you said, less back-to-backs, all that. And I, and I think what you mentioned about the D-League is, is really, really important. I mean, I think it does incentivize guys to stay in the States, um, you know, to to increase kind of the <clears throat> the farm system approach, the organic growth approach of, of the league, its minor league, how teams kind of see team building. I mean, it is healthy to try to build that league and, and, and develop more players and get teams thinking outside of the box, you know, more and more with e- each collective bargaining agreement outside of draft, trade, free agency, which is going to be the three, you know, cornerstone front office um you know, thinking points for a while, but the, the, you know, the league is trying their best to, uh, to develop more guys, to get them into the system, keep them in the system, um, and, and make this league healthier. All right. So let's, um, let's move on and try to preview some of these next four games, uh, that the Hornets have the last four of 2016. Um, the Hornets will go to Brooklyn, to Orlando, and then, uh, return home to get Miami and Cleveland, so I think you look three of four of those games, and you say the Hornets should be favored in. Oh, yeah. Brooklyn, Orlando, Miami, we're all going to be favored in, or we should be. Uh, Cleveland, uh, obviously not. We've played them twice this year. We've, we're 0-2. We, we battled against them, uh, but it's probably going to be another loss. Yeah, yeah. So in, and these are these are four important games uh, for the Hornets. I mean, you know, the Cleveland, you, you, kinda, you look at this upcoming schedule and you would like to think the Hornets could keep this winning streak going maybe get to Cleveland with six straight wins. I mean, you know, that requires getting two wins on the road here soon. But, you know, the Hornets are sitting in a really good spot right now. I mean, they're 17-13. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. Well, really, they're tied for third in the Boston. They're four and a half back of Toronto right now uh, with Boston. So Toronto has – they have created some some real space in yep. between them and the kind of next tier. So it's Cleveland – is a game and a half up Toronto, so that's kind of a tier. Then you have Boston, Charlotte, New York. Uh, that's kind of the middle tier right now. Then there's a game and a half difference between Atlanta, Milwaukee, and then Indiana's rounding out the eighth spot uh, in the Eastern Conference right now. So things are starting to become a little clearer. Um, you know, we'll see if New York stays uh, as competitive as they have been 
Um, but I think it looks like Charlotte, Boston. I, I don't. I don't really know who else jumps up to compete for that third spot in the East right now, Richie. But but these next you know four games for Charlotte to close out 2016 are very important. Exactly. I mean, I think that if we can pick up some momentum against Brooklyn, Orlando, and Miami, uh, maybe we can build some confidence going into uh, New Year's Eve. And, and knock off Cleveland at home. Um, I know that was one of the marquee games when the schedule first came out. Everyone was talking about how, oh, December 31st against Cleveland was, was a game that you definitely want to go to. So I'm not sure if people are going to be out celebrating New Year's Eve or if they'll be there that night. Hopefully, hopefully it's a, it's a packed crowd that night and, and we can kind of build up some momentum and, and, and maybe possibly knock them off. That'd be great to kind of uh, build our momentum and, and secure our spot in that top four. Now, Brooklyn, we we get to face we get to face Lynn again. He's uh, coming back from injury. I think he's only played like seven, eight, nine, ten games this year. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see. And I know that they struggle defensively. Orlando, we've played them before and beat them. Miami, we've played them before and beat them. So these are three winnable games that we can build our confidence. Yeah, I just kind of you know look. You look at these games, just kind of short, short glass here. I mean. This is a situation where Charlotte can get these next three, which again they should be favored in all three of them. You know they get to twenty and thirteen with Cleveland rolling in, as you mentioned on New Year's Eve. That's a big game. I mean that that is kind of what you circle on the calendar and say, okay, win these next three, take a six game winning streak into Cleveland on New Year's Eve. That is the game that it's it's a it's a prove it game to the NBA, and I think a real easy one for the Hornets to get up for. Um, so we'll see, but a big opportunity coming. Uh, as the Hornets continue to try to keep pace here in the Eastern Conference and, and create more space between them and really what I would say that third tier of the East. Uh, let's stay on it for just a minute here, Richie. What are the teams that maybe you see in the East from Atlanta at six to even to probably Orlando that sits you know sits below that eighth spot? But, I mean, those teams, there's one, two, three. So Atlanta, Milwaukee, Indiana, Chicago, Washington, Detroit, Orlando – of those seven teams, there's only two games separating all of them in the standing. So give me, of those seven, kind of your three that you think are going to compete with those teams again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's do this. So pick one of those teams, or two if you want, that are going to compete with us in Boston for the third spot, and then tell me the three that are just going to be in the playoffs. Okay, let me think here. So I think that the one team that, that could compete with us to kind of, you know, Four or five seed, kind of in that range. I think. I think Milwaukee. I think they're kind of uh, on the upwards upwards swing here. So uh, they they could definitely. I can see them. You know, finishing fourth or fifth, uh, give us some trouble. Um, Atlanta. They're definitely. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, Indiana's tough. They they just struggle defensively, but I know that Paul George can go off at any time. So let's see. I, I say Cleveland playoffs, Toronto playoffs, Boston playoffs. Charlotte playoffs. So that's four out of the eight. I'm going to go ahead and say Milwaukee, five. Atlanta, six. Ooh. Knicks, seven. Mm. And then the eighth spot. Maybe Detroit? I don't know. That's that's tough. So you're, like, leaving out, uh, so you're leaving out Indiana? Yeah. I know it's tough. That's yeah, Look, that's why, <laughs> that's why we're having the conversation. I think the, there's so much to play out in this Eastern Conference. And really where it starts mattering the most, Richie, is when we approach this trade deadline because, you know, there's going to be movement this trade deadline. I don't think there's any question about that. I think there's a lot of desperate teams. I mean, I think you look at Orlando in the Eastern Conference. I think they're the one that jump off. 
at you. I mean, they have this weird collection of players that just don't fit. Uh, I think they're desperate to get something off their hands. I think you look at a Detroit who's just been a big-time disappointment, um, and it's actually worse without Reggie Jackson, which is weird, uh, back. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I agree with you. I think Milwaukee's terrifying when they're clicking. I mean, they are really, really good. Um, Jabari Parker is definitely becoming something really fast. Um, the Greek freak is, I mean, he's, he could be a top five player in the world, like in 2017. I mean, it could happen that fast with him. So I agree with you in Milwaukee, but you know, this collection of seven teams is trying to figure out exactly who they are and where they stand and whether they're going to press reset or whether they're going to go for it is going to really matter when, when it comes to all this trade talk that we mentioned earlier, because you know, a lot of them are, are, are going to want to get some assets back, get some picks back. I think there's plenty of teams out there that want to go for the playoffs that are happy to to take on some of those players. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take back my pick. I, I don't think Detroit makes the playoffs. I'm I'm a golly, and I, I'm I'm still struggling between Indiana and Chicago as well because both of those teams yeah. I could see making it. And I guess it all depends on injuries and how they're playing near the trade deadline. Uh, because when that comes in, into play, uh, you know, some teams turn into sellers, some teams turn into buyers. Yeah. So I actually think that. <clears throat> All right, here are my teams of this collection that are out. I, I think Chicago is just not good. They are not. They are. They suck at basketball. I can't walk, stand watching them. Um, but they they are really really frustrating to watch play. Um, so I would I would say they're out. They could do it obviously because they have all these vets and they're just they just maybe probably find a way. You know, when you have Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler on your team, you know, you probably figure it out how to get to forty one wins. But I would say they're out. I would say. Washington, as talented as they are, I just there's there's such a factor of I just can't trust them, and they have zero bench, so I would say Washington's out. I think I agree with you on Detroit. I, I think they're it, it just what's going on there right now, and it seems like everybody's fighting uh, with each other. I, something feels weird in Detroit. I, I think something's going to happen. Um, I don't know if that's a coach being axed or or a big time name getting traded, Reggie Jackson. I don't know, but something doesn't feel right in Detroit. Orlando, I, I definitely don't think they're going to make it. So I really think as, as it stands right now, somewhere in that order, um, Indiana, Milwaukee, Atlanta, New York, I mean, I think those are your you know, your bottom tier of, of playoff teams in the East. I think out of those four that – I don't know. Atlanta seems weird too. I can't figure them out. They're so inconsistent. So you think, uh, the, you think the eight teams that are they're sitting in the top eight right now will be the eight teams that make it come come June? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think those are. I think those are the best team. I, I think. I think Atlanta is going to come, or excuse me, I think New York's going to come back to earth. Um, I think they'll still make the playoffs. I mean, Porzingis is just so good. Um, Atlanta is the one team out of those right now that I could see dropping out, and the one I would probably move up is Washington. Um, but outside of that, I think it. I think it stays like it is. Yeah, no one's really talking about Washington. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs last year. I don't believe and. You know their defense is is not too great this year, but they do have talent with Wall and and, and Beal, and they can they can score at will. So it's interesting. I, I think I just kind of dismissed them at the beginning of the year, but they're they're hanging around. Like you said, the the difference between that that eleventh spot and, and the sixth spot is very very close. So yeah, I mean you know they were I think Washington was as bad as like eight and fourteen, nine and fifteen at one point. So they've won like five of six or seven. So you know they're kind of on the uptick here. But yeah, I mean, they're just with Wall and Beal. I mean, you can only lose so many games, right? <laughs> right. But but again, it's that bench. They're just so depleted. 
uh, in Finn behind really the the top three or four guys on that roster. Um, so it'll be interesting with them. I mean, here's the one thing to watch with a team like Washington is that I think you there's some guys in that front office uh, that are fighting for their jobs and have to win now. So that's a desperate team that is going to make a, a, a an awful trade probably at the trade deadline and in a move like that you know could impact charlotte uh because charlotte's rich joe is sitting back right now watching these desperate teams and seeing how he can somehow maybe be a be a third team in a facilitating deal so that's the kind of trade richie i think that like charlotte's looking for joe's looking for he's watching these desperate teams orlando portland uh, you know, Washington probably. Um, let me think of some other ones. Uh, Sacramento, always <laughs> desperation oozing yep. out of there. You know, watching these teams, seeing what they're going to do, and maybe trying to get into the back end of one of those deals as a third team. I think that is kind of what Hornets fans should be watching. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's always very calculated in what he does with these trades, and he never seems to make, you know, a rush trade or a panic a panic trade. Uh, he's going to think about it. He's definitely going to think about it. And if we can be a third team in there and, you know, just to get us facilitated, he's just going to he's going to make that trade that, that kind of helps us and betters us. And it's it's not going to be one that might be a splash this year, but he is very meticulous and calculated with what he does. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I th- understand this. Hornets are in holding mode. There's they're not going to make some crazy trade. Uh, the biggest names that might come in are Rudy Gay. Greg Monroe looks a little better in Milwaukee now. Not even sure they they want to. Well, I'm sure they still want to trade him. But I mean, those are as big as the names might get um, to bring in a score to Charlotte. But don't expect a big splash, folks. So don't ask the questions because it's not going to happen. Joe is, <laughs> Joe, Joe's smarter than that. He's in holding mode. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up kind of that conversation, Richie, and tell me if you disagree. I think like a guy like Rudy Gay or a guy like Greg Monroe, Greg Monroe probably. You know the biggest name targets that the Hornets could probably get, right? Is that yeah, fair? I, I I mean I don't know if there's going to be a lot of big names traded, but if 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 that is the, the the ceiling, I think that's kind of where we could see a trade happening. But I'm not holding out hope for that. I don't know if I would really want either of those two players. I think because yeah. it would just require a little bit too much back. Um, so like you said, we're in holding mode. I. I like where we're sitting. We're in a good shape. Not a lot of teams can can say that they're in good shape for this year and for the years moving forward. I agree. I agree. I think Gay is actually a really good fit, Charlotte. I, I know that people have this perception of him being, you know, ISO heavy uh, ball stopper, which which he is. I mean, that's fair. But I mean, I think you look at him. He's six nine. I mean, he looks. He, he, you know, you talk about looking like a like a real player like the best guy on the floor getting off the bus i mean rudy gay is one of those guys um you know he adds i think a a switchy component um to our to our late game lineups um that already exists with mkg batum uh and marvin williams um again he fits that narrative of kind of a guy we can go to to get a bucket late in the game which i don't think this roster really has right now um so I actually think he's a really, really good fit for the Hornets. Uh, I'm not sure that, that they make – you know, I mean, I'm sure Sacramento is going to be asking a lot. Not that you can't fool Sacramento with the deal, but I think they're probably going to be asking too much for him. Yeah, so Rudy Gay is actually – so he's a player option for next season at just under $15 million. So that's, that's not I wonder bad. if he opts out there. I think he definitely opts out, right? I don't think there's any question. 
So, so really, it's a quasi-expiring contract. I mean, it's a rental, which is, I mean, it's exactly what the Hornets want um, to make a almost like a fake run, you know, and hope for an injury at, at Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. But and then you're not mortgaging anything, you know, going forward in terms of cap space. I, I guess the question is just like what. What does Sacramento want for Rudy Gay? So effectively a rental. Who knows what Sacramento wants? Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so let me ask you this. Now that we've gone off the beaten path and way deep into this rabbit hole, would you give up a future first-round pick for Rudy Gay? Like if it was like t- – okay. Would you – if I picked up the phone right now, I'm Rich Joe. You're the smarter GM in Sacramento than what they currently have. And I said I'm going to give you – a top 10 protected future first-round pick for Rudy Gay. What do you say? And I'm, I'm Sacramento's GM? You're, you're Sacramento. I'd do it. I'd definitely do it, especially considering where, where Sacramento's at. I'd do it. It may require a little bit more but I, if it was another player added in, but I, I would definitely yeah. do that. Yeah. it's. I mean, I think Sacramento would be dumb not to do it, and it would have to require yeah, another player just to make the salaries work. But, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that's the one – I wouldn't call it a desperation move for the Hornets, but that that's the one question that's probably the toughest to answer for a guy like Chell right now is do I do I make a deal like that now or, or talk about being patient, which we were discussing earlier. All right, so what are you doing for Christmas? I got a busy Christmas. So tonight, Christmas Eve, as we're recording this, I go to over to uh, my mom's side. Um, her, her parents are divorced, so we got to go to her dad and her mom's. Uh, and then tomorrow... Uh, even busier. Uh, in the morning, I go to my wife's side. Uh, in the evening, I go back to my, my mom's side as well. So it's just a lot of back and forth traveling, uh, you know, carrying presents from, from one house to the next. So very busy time for me. But luckily, my wife's family and my family are all, you know, within 15 minutes apart. So awesome. Yeah. I, uh, Christmas Eve, I have a big party here in, in Statesville, which is where I grew up, you know, just north of Charlotte. Christmas Eve party. Uh, here with a bunch of friends, um, so we got that tonight, and then tomorrow is just kind of wake up and just kind of listen to your mom and just follow directions <laughs> throughout, throughout the day. I think that's the easiest way to go about it. So, yeah, so okay, good. So we got this in, and hopefully, uh, all you guys will get to listen to this on, on Christmas Day when you have a few minutes to yourself um, and a day full of basketball tomorrow. I think there's five or six games tomorrow. Um, we're still waiting on the Hornets to get a Christmas game. We might be waiting a while, but there Don't is. I love how of- they put those like, those Christmas jerseys out, and and, and uh, they do it for every team. But like you know, not every team's gonna be playing on that. I think that's funny. That is, that is funny, yeah. And I, those things are hideous. I think those are the worst jerseys that the NBA has has made. Uh, it's the, and most of them are like the t-shirt jerseys too, right? Like the tight ones. They might be going that direction now. All right, with that, uh, one last thing. We're actually going to be, be uh, launching a Christmas edition 5-on-5 five five tomorrow. Um, so we'll be on the lookout for that, uh, just discussing a lot of you know Hornets topics that some of them we probably discussed today. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, and I think that's it. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure that you get in on the Nick Batum giveaway contest and so check our Twitter handle for information on that. And follow us on iTunes. Hit us up on SoundCloud where you can find us. Uh, And I think that's it. So until next time, uh, wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. Again, thank you for listening. Uh, Go to QueenCityHoops.com for all your latest Hornets coverage. All right, folks. See you next time. It's happening daily. 
We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.